podcast discussion about the third exhibition of Film Explorer Video State Gallery. This time we are going to discuss with uh, Johannes Pinotto, Kevin Billy and Chloe Galibert-Lenay about uh, three new video essays. This is Love Without Dreams by Jessica Bersley, Michael Ironside and I by Mariam Mayland, and Les Mystères de Roche de Cadeur by uh, Loens Perret. We try to find a team, a sort of common thread through these three video essays and one proposition for uh, to put together uh, as a title these three video essays, Dispossession. I think Kevin was your proposition, so can you tell us how did you come with this title? Certainly, and thank you Giuseppe and Ruth. So how I came up with um, Dispossessions as a possible idea of tying together the three selections. Um, just watching each of the selections one after another made me think about the question of, uh, well, not just the spectator's relationship to the moving image um, or images in general, but uh, how whether we possess them or whether they possess us or how one can find a sense of self-possession through their relationship with moving images. And I'll just speak briefly on behalf of my, Michael Ironside and I, which was my selection, um, a video essay by Marian Mayland. Uh, I just found this a really powerful and I want to say personal. I don't want to assume too much because it's not um, proposed as an uh, autograph biographical work explicitly, uh, but I, I, I certainly feel um, something personal being worked out. It's narrated by the creator, Marian Mayland, and it depicts or reflects on um, a, really a lifetime of watching three specific works um, from Hollywood, two films from the 80s, uh, War Games, and um, Real Genius, and then a TV series from the 90s called Sequest that uh, each uh, feature a young white male tech genius or a, a kind of a, a tech prodigy. Um, and I, I imagine that um, this consistency of a persona being portrayed had some kind of resonance uh, for the author in terms of giving a framework for understanding their identity um, as a as a young white uh, male, at least at the time, I think Mary Malin now identifies as transgender or non-binary, um, and gradually coming to be aware of how problematic, if not downright toxic, and in some cases abusive, um, this persona has been, both in the way it was created uh, off screen uh, instances of sexual harassment or bullying or just general white male privilege um, and and just the way that it created um, a specific image of how um, yeah a, a white male techno geek 
can can be in the world and the the video essay really in, in many ways um feels like a state of reenactment or recollection seeking um a moment of liberate liberation liberatory disenchantment it's it's a spell of disenchantment we usually think of spells as a way of enchanting ourselves and reaching uh you know a, a state of enchantment but here it's a spell of disenchantment so yeah so uh, so for me it was, really was a question of how uh, Marian Malin uses the video essay as a tool for understanding how these works had possessed them in the past and how the video essay allows them to repossess themselves. So, you know, but I don't want to take possession of the interpretations of, you know, Chloe or Johannes by imposing this framework. So maybe, yeah, Chloe or Johannes, uh, I don't know how this dispossession theme speaks to you and your selection. Thank you for also explaining or unpacking um, the associations that you see with that word in relation to those those three video essays or those three films. Um, I think just listening to you now, one term that came to me that I think you use in your introduction text, Kevin, to um, the video that you picked was the term dissociation. And I guess I was thinking about this as a, maybe a counterpart to this idea of possessing, possession or dispossession is whether or not you are um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know, I, I guess I'm seeing this thread and I'm not sure how clearly I can explain it right now, but I'm going to try. Um, this, 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 this common thread of between the three videos of this theme of, um, experiences, exploring experiences of identification and disidentification, either with oneself or with images projecting onto a screen. And, you know, I see that in the video that I picked, which was Jessica Bartley's Lives Without Dreams in the exploration of the state of sleeplessness, which in many ways can be described as a state where you, you're, you have a relationship to your body that is not quite uh, an experience of being related to what your body is doing because your mind is tired and needs to sleep and your body is restless. Um, and she describes this experience, I think, very aptly and very in a way that's very sensible and sensitive in the film. Um, but I think also rewatching re the video that you picked, Kevin, that you were just talking about, I get this, this also this feeling of being disassociated. I picked that word. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure how it works in English. Uh, so disassociated from oneself in the the flatness of the voice, I think, the fact that those very intense and very affected experiences are described in a way that is really almost robotic, very monotonous and very, very flat, uh, which I think, yeah, also gives me this impression of, okay, this person is talking about experiences without letting these experiences affect them at the moment when they're speaking for whatever reason that can be uh, explored. And then, of course, I think it's also a very important theme in the film that you picked, Johannes, It's very in, in, in terms of the thematic of the film, with this um, ex, exper, ex, experiment with the, the, the cinema as a therapeutic device. And this idea that a, a person who was traumatized by violence could be reassociated with oneself through the spectacle of what happened to her on screen. Um, 
And what I thought was interesting, again, listening to you just now, Kevin, and thinking about this, this, this theme or this idea of dissociation is how it can be understood as this psychic mechanism that I think is somehow at play in the three works, but then also as, a, as an editing or almost a videographic method, right, in terms of unsyncing audio and, and, and images, or in, in the editing of the video you picked, Kevin, um, presenting the places, the spaces, without the, the human bodies that inhabited them and also how that works as a mechanism of dissociating. And I think in, in um, Mystère des Roches Cadors, the film that Johannes picked, um, the fact that you see the scene twice, right? You see the when it originally happens and then a remake of that scene and even a third time when it's presented onto a screen. So again, this idea of separating one experience from its its reenactment somehow. So I guess yeah, maybe this this theme of dissociation, both as a as a state of mind and as an editing method, somehow struck me as a a, a red line through the the selection that I think maybe connects to this idea of dispossession. I mean, I guess it probably speaks to how closely mentally we three are <laughs> seem to be associated and to each other, but I find it really fascinating how both of you pick up on things that also um, I was so struck by when when watching your films and kind of like adding to the notion of this possession and this association. I was also just like with in watching your picks, I was really struck with the with the with the question of absence of that we're talking about something, we try to capture something that cannot be captured, that isn't there. And exactly as you say, Chloe, that this is both like a theoretical concept and it actually also links. I mean, I, I think my pick perhaps is the least obvious one in that regard, but of course it links to something that is like just on the story level at the heart of also of, of uh, Mister de Roche de Cador, namely the question of trauma. And I mean, to take the word trauma literally as kind of like a wound, a gap, as something that is missing. And of course, there's much of like theoretical, psychoanalytical literature exactly on that, that, that trauma is something that cannot be filled, that cannot be made kind of like just present, but that it is um, closely tied to, to, to an experience of, 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 of absence, of something that cannot be fully grasped. Um, I find it really interesting to see that, as you said, Chloe, that this is also, that this is even an aesthetic and, and formal device for these films, that they work with reduction, for example, like the taking away of color in, 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 in Bartzley's um, film, uh, the feeling of like these, or the empty rooms in these films, it actually also, it made me very much think of um, a video essay that was also kind of like, I was always very um, fascinated with um, this um, supercut by LJ Fraser on the empty spaces in the Seinfeld, in the Seinfeld TV series, where uh, just all these um, moments of, of, of empty rooms are, are combined. And what kind of, that this gives, literally gives, also, of course, also space to our imagination and starting to think about um, what is 
what is missing here, but in the sense of kind of something that can never be, that could never be fully put on screen, but it can, but at the same time, and I also like that, that, that you, that you Kevin also ended on this kind of like also on this positive note that perhaps it can be made present in some form or we can um, free ourselves of certain things. And perhaps the medium um, uh, of film can be um, a medium for such a, for such a process. But it's definitely not going in this simple way of, of just kind of like, I'm going to put it on screen and, 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 and then it has um, a body and we can, and we can deal with it. it. It does not work in a simple way like that, but rather in the way of like making absences felt. It's interesting that you say, yeah, I guess, I guess um, um, Michael Arnstein and I has a happy ending, so to speak, not nearly as happy as the Mr. de Roche de Codor, <laughs> which I, you know, and, and the thing about happy endings relating to one's relationship and ability to use um, media technology or filmmaking, because yeah, I, I actually hadn't seen the Mr. de Roche de Codor um, before you had proposed it, Johannes, and it really is quite a mind-blowing, um, yeah, I would say landmark in self-reflexive cinema. And that's, you know, exactly one of the reasons why you proposed it. Um, but also giving this idea that cinema in the, was it 1910s? Um, yeah, was not just a, could not just be a means for entertainment, but also a means for psychological therapy, for um, dealing with trauma. Um, I mean, it's really, really fascinating, you know, especially now that we're talking about technologies like VR as doing the same. So in some ways, history is repeating itself. And um, by making use of that kind of techno optimist or techno solutionist application to cinema, we arrive at this happy ending with, uh, you know, this this trauma is like resolved and the bad guy is is uh, apprehended. And then with uh, Michael Ironside and I, yeah, it's. I, I think Chloe was saying this before. Um, Marion Malin's ability to critically deconstruct these works um, to isolate their role as living spaces by by only showing the living environments to really bring out this quality of how these films were. Um, living spaces where they inhabited in the past um, and then trying to defamiliarize and disassociate from that um, and and but yeah by an alternative means of montage uh, is a way for them to reconstruct their own position so but then this leads me to ask you know Chloe about life without dreams because you know if we want to talk about the video essay as one's ability to use um, media production technology as a way of reconstructing or re-articulating their, their relationship to states of possession or dispossession. Um, you know, it's, it is quite a, I would even say stressful <laughs> condition that's being communicated in Jessica's film. Uh, I even saw like um, on her Instagram stories, that uh, she had done a screening with her mother uh, present, and then afterwards her mother was texting her, like, are you okay now? <laughs> like, it was just... 
So, so that that so in that that also speaks to the wish for the happy ending, right? The the wish for um, you know, for for a therapeutic solution. So, Chloe, I don't know, you know, how much you know about that from Jessica's side, or 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 else how how you, you know, perceive the film itself in relation to the use of technology and media technology as a means of of therapy. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't want to speculate or reveal things that I may or may not know from Jessica directly, but I think the fact that she labels the work as a work of autofiction is a is a green flag for us to project whatever we want onto the character that tells the story in her film. And so I'm going to I'm going to build from that. Um but I think it's interesting that I mean, I would agree that it doesn't have an happy ending, but it does make you wonder what what an happy ending would be for that film. Um, and I think there's this, this 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 thing about sleep that might be true about other ungraspable objects um, is that you never possess it precisely to get back to your your proposed title for our collection this this time. Um, you might encounter it perchance one night and the following night and the night after, but there's no promise that you will have it on the fourth night after that. Um, and I was reminded just now of uh, this anecdote because um, I've, I've been seeing a few, quite a few times now I'm going to talk about myself instead of talking about Jessica but my doctor has this analogy every time we talk about sleep and she's, she always says sleep is like this wild horse that the more you try and get it the more it, it, it flies away and I find it so ironic that a she would use such a non-urban analogy that I cannot relate with in any way but I do also find it interesting that the analogy which would pass through animal, like non-human bodies, given the importance of animals in Jessica's film as well, that she's documenting so much of uh, nightlife of different animals, bats and owls. Um, but I wanted to get back to this idea of the object that one cannot grasp, because I, I did find it interesting watching this selection, how I think the three films that we picked, you know, relate loosely to um, definition of video essays as exploring existing images. I think Johannes, of course, the film that you picked is not per se found footage, but it does recreate its own footage. So in that way, it is still exploring existing media. And I find it interesting that in the three cases, which I don't think is true for all video essays in general, but for that specific selection, how the use of existing objects, objects, things that you could feel like you could almost grasp them, this method, the videographic method, is used for exploring themes and objects that are precisely non-material and non-graspable, such as sleep, such as trauma, as you just said, Johannes, and such as violence, past violence, I would say, in, in Kevin's, the, the film that you chose. Um, and I think this idea of, of yeah, ex exploring immaterial psychic objects via the means of concrete images that you can almost have in your hands may, might be a way of maybe reassuring oneself that we can actually talk about these objects because we have some things to work with or to work from. And I think that relates to what you were talking about earlier, Johannes, around the theme of absence also, how there is this gap that one will try to fill in with existing images because there are maybe not, not so much other materials that one could be, could be using. Jan, pick up on that. Um, it also made me think, of course, that it's interesting these three videos also precisely under the header of kind of like exemplary video essays, because I think they also in 
in their dealing with absences, I think they're they, they, they contain a very interesting lesson um, about, about video essays. Um, you, Kevin, you also mentioned how uh, Michael Ironside and I sort of kind of like also um, deconstructs, analyzes and deconstructs these films um, that um, footage is used from. But of course it does in a way that is not like this explanatory style that I think all three of us have difficulties with and I think it's precisely because it's in it's kind of like this to pretend to be in possession of the interpretation of the full meaning of all of that I think it's interesting that um if they are video essays they are video essays in 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 a in a vein of um neither claiming I can't say nothing about um, the object there is there is kind of like um, I, I have like no argument here nor in claiming I, I give you all the answers but it's rather uh, it's rather trying to make an argument not so much by telling you but rather by planting questions um, in your mind I think um Mr. De Roche-Decador does this to the least extent because it is like the most coherent story and it kind of like you perhaps have the impression at the end that everything is resolved but of course many many questions remain and that um, is perhaps when we watch this film for a second time what we become particularly interested that we perhaps realize okay the crime story if it's just kind of like reduced to the to the question of um um who was the bad guy can the bad guy be captured in that regard there is a resolution to that but what happened with our female protagonist why someone falls into a catatonic state and why it is exactly that she can come out of that by seeing these images on a screen Although we see it, again, it's also what you mentioned, uh, Chloe, this nice paradox. At the same time, it's very graspable. We see it before us. We can't put our finger on it. But at the same time, it is talking about something that you cannot put a finger on. It, it remains a mystery. Um, same, I had the, the experience when I was watching um, Jessica Percy's Life Without Dreams, that I, I was just also fascinated by these images of, of animals. And of course was wondering what do they signify but also what's going on in these animals and realizing that I that I yeah that I don't have an answer to that and that it's not about giving wanting to give me an answer to that but rather to 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 think about that precisely in the sense of kind of like hmm. um as again as something ungraspable hmm. it's interesting that yeah if we want to talk about the role of the evidentiary or you know how what what relationship do each of our selections have to do with video essays as providing evidence of something, um, you know, which is what most explainer type video essays do. But what does it mean to provide evidence or to engage in an evidentiary mode when one is doing something that's more um, exploratory, more poetic, more more internal and subjective. Um, and I think it also connects to what Chloe had said before about, I think it was like a certain materiality 
or or solidity um and you know now i'm thinking about marx's quote all that is solid melts into air and like what is what is the relationship between the solid and the air in our examples because um yeah speaking on behalf of michael ironside and i you have the solidness of these living spaces which you know i don't think he i'm, I'm sorry i don't think they um literally thought that you know, identified with these living spaces as their living space when they were watching them for decades. But there's something that transmits the feeling of being in an environment, you know, watching these images of living spaces um, and the stories that take place in them. And to somehow reverse that by using the solidness, the material evidence of these living spaces within these films as a starting point to then address things that are not seen on screen. Um, so their voiceover provides the, the evidence of toxicity that's embedded in these images. Um, so in that way, like their voice becomes the solidness, um, the, 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 the providing of an evidence that is a, a counter evidence to the images. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and I, I really, really like to hear what both of you have to say about each of your selections. But with Chloe uh, and with Life Without Dreams, it's fascinating because I think partly because it's shot in black and white, that that already creates this sort of uh, destabilization of the solidness. It becomes less solid, less concrete, like these images of um, the people sleeping in the subways, which you wrote about really beautifully in your, your introduction. If they were, you know... Um, playing as they were originally found. I'm, I'm imagining they were probably things that were like put on Twitter or YouTube or, you know, and it's like one of those things like, oh my God, someone's falling asleep in the subway. But the way that she presents them, it becomes somehow somewhat dematerialized or dissolved or softened in a way. And, and what is the effect of that? So yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about these things. Yeah, I was thinking perhaps that's a, a bit of it's a loose interpretation of this this question of solidness or air, but I think I can translate it into something that I was thinking about. Also, um, listening to you just now, thinking about solid versus not solid or the air texture also in terms of how that might relate to spoken word versus written word and ins inscribing words onto images I and mean, I'm also thinking about those diagrams that appear on the image in the film you picked Kevin which is not written word it's written image so to speak and I was really um, I was really uh, I, I remember reading Johannes text introduction uh, of, of um, the film that you picked in which you insisted on this idea of the importance of the written the written word in the Mystère des Rochecadors because of all of the letters that the characters are constantly sending to one another and having just rewatched the film after rereading reading your your introduction essay it was really really striking indeed how you have the intro titles that give you some basic written element for understanding the story and then you have this massive letters that last forever that actually give you a lot more verbal content that you need to understand the story um, and I think two things that I find interesting about that was from the one end, the fact that the resolution of the film comes from identifying the handwriting of the culprit 
which means it's the written text as an image. You know, they compare the two images of the written words and that is the solution, that is the happy end. This is where the happy end comes from. But then there was also, because um, I, I was reminded of a text by Raymond Bellour about this film and his writings about hypnosis and cinema and psychoanalysis. And he comments on something that I hadn't been thinking about watching the film, but I think is really important, is how he contextualizes the film because it was made in 1913. So obviously the psychoanalysis and the writings of Freud were already pretty widely circulated and discussed. Um, but as Bellour interprets it, he says, well, yes, but there's one missing element, which is the spoken word. It's like the resolution of trauma in the film is from the image only, whereas in psychoanalysis, the fact of talking and listening is at the core of the method. And so it's, there's this removal or this absence, if you, if you want to say that, or dissociation <laughs> between the, the, the spoken word and the resolution of the, 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 the trauma that I think is really interesting that, yeah, uh, Bellot picked on in, in, in this text. But anyway, I was thinking about bringing it back also in conversation about videographic methods, how these three films play with these different ways of presenting text, be it on screen or through voiceover, or in Le Mystère des Roches Cadors, having different modes of text presentation, the intertitles and the letters. And in Bartley's film, uh, you have this on-screen text that has a very peculiar um, ty typography, is that the word? Way of spelling the letters um, that I think also work as a way of inscribing the text as image onto the appropriated footage. And yeah, and, and Kevin in the film you picked those diagrams that I honestly couldn't quite decide what I was supposed to make out of them. Um, but to me, acted as a sort of extra layer replacing the living bodies that had been disappeared from those those cinematic spaces. But I don't know if, if any of you wanted to comment on either your selection or the others in relation to this this question of the solid text versus the air of the, the spoken word. All these films make you ask yourself, and again, I think that's also a crucial question for like videographic criticism. What's the position, what's the space where someone is speaking from where this film is kind of like um uh made from and as you said kevin to start out with these spaces with these rooms that you somehow inhabit but they also try to break out break out of them and also listening to you now and also asking myself this about okay also what does this tell us about or what kind of like questions does this rise in regard to videographic criticism I was also very taken with a quote that you Chloe um, used by uh, Yasmin uh, uh, Pateya on the right to defenseless uh, defenselessness so that we have a right to that we need these moments and again of course sleep would be such a state of kind of like where we are helpless but what must be provided in order that we can have that must be a safe space and that is something that I am also I I'm, I'm being more and more interested in that I realize making yourself vulnerable or also what I mentioned earlier, making a video essay that, that does not pretend to be in possession of the interpretation. Although we might want to strive for that, we have to be aware that this is only possible out of a feeling of a certain safety. And that is also something that, that I found striking um, in, in your picks. 
um, Bartley's film, if it, if it is an autofiction and if it is talking also about one's own um, sleeplessness, it's nonetheless, you're only able to make such a film out of a certain state of safety. And same with like how, yeah, how the, the vulnerability in Michael Ironside and I, and that is something that I find kind of like really, really interesting. How, 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 how can we provide these states of trust and of feeling safe in order precisely not to make an even more forceful argument but on the contrary, to be able to make a weaker argument, to make a more vulnerable argument, to make a more fragile film and not a stronger film. Yeah, especially given that uh, all three of our selections are dealing with states of vulnerability and trauma and how at the same time, yeah, I, I go back to this question of what is the role of evidence, which I think of as a strong word, right? And evidence gives strength to whatever is supporting. Um, but I, I feel like each of our works in some ways challenges or complicates the question of evidence in itself. You know, like, uh, I mean, there are many examples in your selection, Johannes, but I'm thinking about how to create this visual, visual material that then unlocks um, the woman from her catatonic state. You have to do this reenactment. So it's, it's creating a it's not a doc. I wouldn't call it a documentary. It's, it's a reenactment, maybe one of the first reenactments in cinema history, which is already creating for me a conscious distance between, you know, this, we can never get back to the original act. We can only reperform it or reenact it or revisit it. And it's already creating a layer of distance from this direct, uh, quote unquote, real evidence that we could show because all he's doing is performing it from his own you know, sub subjective experience of being shot uh, with life without dreams. It's like, are, are these really, you know, what Jessica's dreams look like? You know, it's like, and how, what is it like to try to, yeah, access that state when you just aren't really in um, control of the images and experiences that surround you? So, um, yeah, but maybe thinking about this question of one's relationship to, um, well, vulnerability on the one hand and uh, evidentiary media practices on the other. I mean, I, I, I think this is something that's quite strong in each of our works. And we haven't really taken the opportunity to talk about our own works. I don't know if that's really the what these conversations are for, but uh, I think there is something about our selections and the way we've talked about them that really makes me think about all of our works, um, specific examples. And I don't know if you would want to talk about your own relationship to, you know, um, media, well, practices of viewing, <laughs> Johannes, <laughs> your own videographic practices, um, uh, maybe, maybe to make it more precise, like th these works or your selection, um, how does that, inf does it have, does it inform your own approach to making video essays and videographic criticism? Yeah, I, I I really do think. I mean, it's it's something that I also try to talk a lot about, also with with students, and also the question that I became aware of that I sort of kind of like I started making video essays at a moment when I was already kind of like 
I already proved my credentials as a film scholar. And I often think about that. What does it mean um, if you have to prove something in the video essay? And what does it mean if you can make a video essay from the position that you don't have to prove something, but rather you can explore something or you can explore your own vulnerability? And, and as much as I, as much as perhaps I, I am tempted kind of like to look down on like um, explanatory mode um, video essays, I must of course be aware, okay, it's also really a question of in what kind of environment does this, is this happening? What, what, what is the, what is the goal also they, 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 they should achieve with, with, with those video essays? And it's definitely, of course, something that, that also draws me very much to, to, to both of you that, I mean, I, um, I mean, I remember, and Chloe perhaps also remembers, I mean, the first time when we actually met in person, um, it was, it was a really, it was a really intense moment. And I actually, I, I almost have a feeling I, like it was the first thing that I, that I talked to Chloe in person about that I was kind of like, I felt, I almost wanted to protect her from a certain, that I just said at the same time, I saw you're such a, an inspiration in how you are, you seem to be able to address um, states of vulnerability, and at the same time, I'm 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 really af I'm, I, I, I'm 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 afraid myself, even though I'm just the audience. I, and, um, and 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 I think something. I mean, I don't want to kind of like I don't want to psychoanalyze any one of you, but I also um, but but I also thought um, 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 in your uh, uh, videos, um, Kevin, I, 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 I see for kind of like the long durée of these many, many videos that you made, also this, this kind of like how uh, sometimes I have a feeling that, you, that sometimes you almost like braced yourself for those moments when you could kind of like, um, I, I just thinking here, for example, of, of, of a video of yours like um, Explosive Paradox. Um, where you, um, in a way, even you abandon the found footage, you abandon the, the, the material of the film that you were so famous for being so brilliant in working with and combining it, and instead kind of like opted for, let's also talk about me and, 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 and my experiences. And I, and I just thought it was an, uh, kind of like very brave, and at the same time, I, I, I again, I, I felt, what is the, yeah, what, what, what do we need to provide as a space, as also as a space of discourse, that, that videos like that are possible. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely uh, resonated. One reason why Michael Ironside resonated with me was that it felt like um, Marion Malin's version of Explosive Paradox in a way. Um, yeah, and also, yeah, and I, I, um, I think it's interesting how our selections reflect, in some ways, some dimension of our own respective practices, because, um, you know, Le Mystère de Roche de Cador is very much, uh, it could, it could very well fit within the lineage of practices of viewing, you know, it's like, <laughs> 
how do we how do we watch something as a way of uh, unlocking some kind of repressed trauma or or un, unspoken unseeable condition inside ourselves and chloe um life without dreams you know it's it's jessica describing her own condition um i don't know if, what's the right word for it neurological it's not neurological it's not pathological it's it's what's uh what's uh oneric i guess because it's dream related and you know you've done such a great job with films like um watching the pain of others or um watching the detectives which in many ways are describing the conditions of others um and how their relationship to audiovisual media making um, allows them to express their condition, <laughs> whether or not they see themselves as having. I don't think the 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 guys in watching uh, the detectives would say that they have a condition, but <laughs> I think your video does a very good job of <laughs> making a counter argument. But um, yeah, I, I guess I I wanted to hear what's your role with regards to the video videographic technique as evidence making or evidence using on the one hand, but also these, um, yeah, these subjective states that in many ways elude the evidentiary or the objective. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, actually. And I was taking those, those notes, listening to you both just now. Um, and that's also, I wanted to come back full circle to talk about the three films that we selected, but also to go back to this, this, theme that I think Yuan has brought up, this 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 question of the conditions for being vulnerable, um, with this idea of the right of defensive defenselessness, but the fact that of course one requires a context for being able to claim that right. Which is very much the reason why the artist that I quote in my text brought up or forged that expression, because she's an artist who was organizing these perform uh, performances or uh, community events um, where people, mostly women, would gather in public spaces to sleep, to nap, but they would need to be several to feel safe. And one of them would need to be awake to keep watch. And it would be the, an, another person the next time who would stay awake to ensure the safety of the others. Um, and they are very, very poignant testimonies of people taking part in these events, whether or not they managed to sleep. And a lot of them describing the fact that they still couldn't because they still didn't feel safe, but still it was important for them to participate. And that really, yeah, I think it's a really fantastic, whatever documentation exists of those performances that I didn't take part in, it were organized all over India and in neighboring countries, I think. Uh, but just the documents that exist of these these performances, I think, are a fantastic exploration of the inequalities <laughs> that relate to sleep and to the sense of safety. But I wanted to get back to this this question of the conditions, um, not really thinking about safety as a privilege, but really the condition for being vulnerable. Um, because I, and I do think that it relates to this, the theme of evidence. Um, because I've, I've been thinking about this in moments recently where I've, I was feeling, for personal reasons, not safe at all for long periods of time. And I would, part of me would feel as a maker, as a writer, as an artist, whatever, I would need to document that. I need to produce the evidence of that because it is interesting. I can realize how interesting it is, despite the fact that it's also horrible to experience. But the truth is when I'm in those states, I'm not going to be making art 
you know, I'm not going to be making this evidence. I'm not going to be making these documents. I'm going to be under a blanket at 4 a.m. watching, you know, reality TV, eating ice cream. And whatever documents could exist of those states, I'm not going to be able to produce. Maybe other people do. They produce fantastic arts when they're at, you know, at the bottom of whatever they're struggling with. I don't. So whatever evidence or documentation I can make is going to be retrospective. And I think that's interesting because, I mean, I, I, I just started realizing how this is present in the three films that we selected, how the retrospectiveness of the story becomes the condition for addressing what happened and producing a discourse about it and also producing, um, sh you know, sharing, conditions for sharing and for conversation, I think, is very present in the narration of the film that you picked, Kevin. It's obviously present in the form of the reenactment in uh, Le Mystère des Roches Cadors. And though it is less explicitly present in um, Left Without Dreams, I would argue that this is not a film that you make when you haven't slept for months. I think you need to rest and then you make a great film uh, like this one. And so I think this, this idea of, of retrospection or retrospectiveness or the after, the post, the post condition to be able to address the condition is maybe one way to think about the conditions for vulnerability that at least for me is quite, um, it relieves me from my guilt of not being able to produce those evidence of what I'm going through and the moment when I'm going through it. And I think it, it relates to also, you know, videographic criticism as a method, because what you do when you work with existing images is that you look at the past, it can be yesterday, it can be a century ago, but you're looking at things that were documented in the past. And I think this is part of the reasons why I'm engaged with that practice is also because it allows for this time for reflection and just getting better <laughs> and, and having a more quiet head and body to, to reflect about what happened. I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely love that because um, strangely enough, there is, <laughs> There is a sentence, there is something I still so vividly remember. And actually, I constantly think about that. I just was so struck when I first read that. It's in the um, it's in a text by by Truffaut about Hitchcock. And it's this really crazy idea that he's that that Truffaut says, Vertigo is a film of someone who recovered. And I just thought, whoa, that is. That is weird. And I don't want to kind of like continue with this kind of like fetishization of vertigo, but rather if you know the film and you know how sick of a film this is, I just thought, how do you come up with a sentence like that? But the longer I think about it, the more it makes sense to me that you actually cannot make such a such a horrible film when you're actually in that in that state. And of course, also now picking up on this kind of like the retros the, the retrospection, of course, also ties in perfectly with that. It's always post, it's always after the fact. I never, this is now what you just said, Chloe. I mean, it's it's really, I, I really think it, it cuts to the heart of, again, also that is perhaps one of the explanations, yeah, why it is possible to make video essays why one can try to make video essays that, that they are in a state of vulnerability, that at least the material um, that we're working with is, is, is after the fact. 
that 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 we can go back to. Mm. It's also something I realize um, it it that there's really a tem a temporal aspect to that. That I also realize myself I'm much more at ease to work with older material than newer material, and I think it's precisely because of that because I have a feeling of like I cannot go that much into a into an into a, a mode of experimentation and vulnerability um, if it's too too recent. I also realize that I, that I keep thinking about like even though I'm totally aware that that the, that the that the filmmaker I'm working on I mean they, they 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 would not pay attention to my video essay they would they would not know that but even but but still it makes a difference knowing if the person is still alive. <laughs> and yeah that's I guess that's good for uh, your selection, right? <laughs> you can do whatever you want with Leon's Perret. Um, yeah, and, and if the if the role of uh, retrospection and postness is so important, um, then maybe we should retitle this selection instead of dispossessions. It's just post sessions. <laughs> okay, you can kick me out. Um, and that will be that that will either be the last word on this podcast unless you have any better things to contribute. Okay. So till next time, thanks to all of us. Podcast. Video essay production by Film Explorer.